We've been talking about transition. We are on week number, does anybody know? 12. 12. Like I said, I did not think we would go this long. I thought, oh, we'll start off, we'll do this for three weeks and it'll be good. But we've been talking about transition, but really we've been talking about promotion you know, different types of transition, moving up in life, moving up with God and in God. And today, even though we're still on the subject, I'm going to uh, talk about repentance. And uh, this is a huge thing that's talked about in the church in all different kinds of ways. Sometimes if you hear a message about repentance, it's like get your helmet on, get your shield out, bear down because you're about to get it. And I don't know that that's really what repentance altogether looks like, but it has been a whipping post at some points. You need to repent. But... The fact of the matter is we all do it sometime, and uh, it's not a bad thing. So if you have a Bible, open it to Luke, the fifth chapter. So maybe we could, uh, might not be real easy to do this, but maybe we could put aside or at least be open to hear something different uh, or maybe from a different angle concerning repentance because sometimes if we've heard a subject for so long, we brace for it in that line. Like, this is what we're going to hear. I know this. And, and maybe that could close us to some things. Like, I already know that. But what if we kind of say, maybe I could learn something. Maybe there is something to this repentance. And maybe repentance is really good and really helpful. So Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, and we'll begin reading in the first verse, it says, so it was that the multitude pressed about him, Luke 5, 1, to hear him and hear the word of God, that they stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So we get this picture of Jesus is standing by this lake, and he's preaching I mean, Jesus was practical in things he did. I mean, where would you want to preach if you didn't have a sound system? An amphitheater. Why do they call it an amphitheater? A amp. Amplifies. And the ideal uh, in creation is the side of a lake. Because obviously the water would run out if the dirt went down. We're going deep here. But if it goes up, then you got grandstands, you have something that can, you know, help amplify and give you a good platform to preach or do whatever you're doing, magic tricks, you know, but in this case, it was preaching. And so Jesus is preaching, thinking back to the talent show, but he's preaching and he saw two boats standing in verse two by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. So he needed a little more space, so he just, he has some interaction and knowing of Simon. He said, hey, launch me out just a little bit so I have a better angle, so I can preach this message from God. So Peter, or Simon, does this. So he's preaching away. In verse 5 it said, 
I'm sorry, verse 4. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Jesus is done preaching. And what I want you to notice here is this. As we read through this, God got involved in his life and there were conditions. There were conditions. How many of you know needs are not always the condition or panic situations are not always uh, what move God? Right? One guy brought his kid to the disciples and said, you know, my child's demon-possessed and all this, and they couldn't help. And then he said to the Lord, if you could do anything, you do something. And the kid falls down, starts writhing around having a demonic attack. Most people would think, jump up and pray. Jesus flat ignores it and says, now, how long has this been happening? Needs do not always move God. Now you understand that doesn't mean he doesn't care about needs. But if needs alone were the thing that moved God, the most needy places in the world would have the most of God's activity. Wouldn't it? I mean, right now we can see different things happening, you know. When I grew up, we were told growing up in Southern California, you know, we're going to fall off into the ocean. They're drowning and not in the ocean with all their problems. But how many of you know it doesn't, it's not making God do something? Now, God has done something 2,000 years ago about it, but sometimes we need to realize there has to be human cooperation in the situation that's happening there and really all around the world. When people get destitute and hungry and they start calling out to God, that is a formula or an, an avenue, not the only one for God to begin to work. There are conditions to things happening. And if we don't realize that and we just think, oh, it's all about what God can do and we shake our fist at God instead of looking at what can I do to cooperate and see something happen. And really, as we see this here, cooperation with God allowed God to do something in his life, in Peter's life. So the Lord, and this is just through a simple relationship. Just a simple relationship with the Lord. The Lord said to him in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to him, said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now how many of you know if God spoke to somebody, you'd think, of course, that's what you're going to do. But how many have ever had God deal with them? And we went, eh, maybe not. Nobody has? Oh, everybody has at some point. And Peter, or Simon, said, he answered and said, Master, we've toiled. Think about this. We've worked super hard all night long and caught nothing. 
That's how he started his response. Um, we've already done a lot of effort here. But the effort he did was apart from God. Effort is a good thing. Effort can bring results. And extra effort can bring extra results. We see people, you know, you hear these people, what are you doing? I'm hustling. I'm a hustler. Well, what are they saying? As long as it's not some pimp. But I'm talking just a friend or something. Hopefully they're not. Um, but um, when they say, what are you doing? I'm just doing the hustle. I'm hustling. It just means I'm working hard. I'm after it. I'm going for it. And, it's bringing in, and it brings results. But how many of you know there's another element to life than that? And so Simon said, all right, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Personal effort's huge. But having a God factor with your personal effort is really huge. Because we're talking about promotion. We're talking about moving up. We're talking about me being more effective. We're talking about, you know, a God factor. I know we've been talking about various things, but this is a huge thing because the world doesn't consider a God factor. Therefore, there's not a lot of inquiring, and then, then there's not a response to him. And it is huge to respond to the Lord. Because if we don't respond to the Lord in our relationship, then it's going to take our effort alone, and we're not going to have the full uh, God work in it. In other words, we may have to rely on gimmicks. We may have to rely on extra hustle. But how many of you know they toiled... And I'm sure at times, because they were still in business, they were harvesting, getting fish. But at this point, they had tried to get a harvest to catch, and they couldn't. And so when we talk about repentance, we're going to talk about that in a minute more. Uh, there's an element that we need to really look at is this. Our walk with God, our response to God, allows for him to get in our business. I can be a Christian and ignoring God, and it can lock him out of my business. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to be in my business, but he wants to be in my business, and you know what? I want him in my business too, and so does everyone. Are you with me? And, and it's real important because people are praying, God help me, and we need to just begin to respond in our relationship with him. It is a huge thing. And we're going to look at this uh, about having to compensate. You know, in life, there can be a lot of compensation, uh, uh, you know, where we're having to do more than we should because we're lacking that, that Godward quality of his working. Now, you can say, now, come on, God, work, but that doesn't do it. There is something about just simply walking with God and uh, seeing his hand in our affairs. 
Are you with me? And there are things we can do, and that would bring a promotion. That would bring increase. It would bring change. It would bring answers to prayer. It would cause us to still labor, but either get greater work or labor less and get greater work or get greater results is what I mean to say. And this is huge because sometimes we think I'm too busy for God and the world is like that. And really God will make up the difference. Are you with me? He can send rain where there's no rain. He can cause fish to come where we've worked real hard before. Now, it's not just a matter of throwing a net in. It's a matter of cooperation. And so let's read on. He said, I'll let down the net. Verse 6 said, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish so that their net was breaking. I mean, this is something different, and we're going to see this. This is a different kind of catch than they're used to. And they are prosperous enough to have employees. You know, maybe you start a new business and you think, all right, we're going to start this little thing and it's going to be a family business. And you really can't afford employees. But you start working and you start working and you start getting ahead and you start getting more clientele or more customers. And you think, we need to hire and the money's coming in to do it and it's just going to help us. And then after a while, you keep growing and growing, and you've got several employees. That says something. Well, here, we can see that they weren't going broke. They had other people working with them. So they had been familiar with fishing and catching, and obviously catching fish was better at night than during the day. You know how I know that? Because they fished at night. I mean, I know we have people who do real estate. Um, if you want to be effective, sell homes at night. How many think, no, come on, serious? You wouldn't do that because people are going to be sleeping in their homes. They're not going to want to open the door and get out and go sit in their car while you come in with the client, you know, all, everybody wearing their pajamas, walking in there. Where are the light switches? Stumbling over stuff. We'll go to the next house. Some reason they're not answering. Yeah, they're asleep. So why would a realtor do it during the day? Practical. Why would these fishermen do this at night? Because they had just been hanging out all day long, playing cards and playing baseball or whatever else, just hanging out, having fun. So we'll just go at night. No, night was better. Night was better. But now Jesus is saying, I want you to do this in the day. What? In the day? And he said, no, Lord, we, did, we worked all night. This didn't work. And he said, all right, wait a minute. I've been hearing you teach. I'm having an encounter. I know you. We're having some inter... I'm going to do what you said the way you said it. Sort of. Because we know he didn't really fully do what he said. 
He only partially did it. He let down one net instead of all the nets. He said, all right, I'll do it. At your word, I'll let down the net. He said, let down the nets. But at least he was cooperating to some degree. And the net, it says, was breaking. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So we're seeing that this net is so jam-packed, they're loading their boats. And they had been working the night before with all of them and not loading their boats. This is such a big thing. I mean, this is a God factor. Why did God get involved in their business? Why did God do this? Did they pray for hours? Did they fast for months? Or did they just have a simple relationship where they obeyed God? Uh, on things that he talked to them about personally. And that's where it stood. And not, not what you told me God said about me, but what I really know. And, and what happened was he did what he knew to do, at least partially. And how many of you know your head can get in the way of things if you're not careful? Something really good and something really God... And this was something really good and something really God. And his head said, all right, we'll obey you. All right, we're only putting one net down, guys. I know he said nets, but just one. We'll, we'll give it a shot. And I, I wonder how much more he would have had if he would have let down all of them. Or maybe just not having ripped up nets. Where he will have to spend time cleaning fish and repairing fish. Or repairing nets, repairing fish, whatever that looks like. But you know what I mean. Maybe it would have had a better effect or just even more. But this had to be so big for a fisherman to be blown away. Somebody who's caught fish his whole life. I mean, he left this family business after this with his family or his father Nothing like this has happened before. Notice, but when Simon, verse 8, saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I have fished before and never said, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. Now, I may have said I was a sinful man, but not on these terms. Like, whoa, there are so many fish it's beyond measure how God got involved in his life. And it wasn't some mystical something. It had to do with simple obedience and response. And when they responded, God got involved in ways that were beyond his mind. So much so that he said, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. Get out of my life. Think, think how profound that is to have this man of Galilee interacting with you to the point it is altering your life beyond measure. I mean, he is getting wealthy right here. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, I mean, he's getting wealthy. I mean, most people would think, 
let's hang out, Jesus, because I could use another one of these catches every couple of days. But it had to be so profound because this man who he hears these profound teachings has now given him instructions. There has to be some realization to who this man is and that this man is no ordinary man. And they knew the Messiah was coming and they were speculating already and there was news around the Savior of the world is here among us. And all of a sudden, uh, he's starting to have some kind of relationship with him. And through this relationship, because how many of you know a relationship is nothing if there's not the other side? How horrible that would that be if a man wanted a woman or a woman wanted a man or, or a guy wanted a new friend? but the friend wouldn't reciprocate? It'd be horrible. Uh, in other words, because you're trying to give something to them, they're not accepting it. You're wanting something from them. That's why people who stalk people, it makes no sense. Because when you get them, they're not going to give you anything. And what you're trying to give them, they're not going to want. You just save yourself some trouble. But here he is with the relationship, and how many of you know a relationship like this is not just the Lord talking, and it's not just Peter talking. It's both of them working together and each of them responding. Hey, Peter, do this for me. Okay, launch out. Hey, Peter, you do this. And he said, well, all right, but... Maybe just a little of it. How many of you know when God talks, your head gets you and can get you into trouble? It'd be good to just ignore some things that come at you and just go, you know what, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and see what goes on here. If he's saying this, it's got to be good. I, it doesn't make sense. I've been working on my nets. I've cleaned them up. And now he's saying throw them back in an off time in something that doesn't look good. I'll do it. But he only did it part way. And it was so big. What could it have been? But it was so big, he, he said he was afraid of this man. And how many of you know, if somebody you know, said, hey, this is a good investment, this is a good return, or Taco Tuesday, great tacos, discount price, you're going. Thinking, hey, this is so beyond that it makes him afraid. Makes him not, a be, not to want to be around this one who the multitudes are pressing to hear. Think how far beyond this is going. I mean, you got a crowd of people, so much so that he can't preach anymore, going to jump in a boat. These people, if you read and look in the Bible, they would follow him by the thousands and then one is so close to him, and being so close to him had some kind of profound effect, and it was so startling to him, he was like, I, I, I'm messed up. I'm a mess. Um, I need you to get out of here. If that doesn't do something to somebody, wow. He told the Lord, just leave me alone. Just, you know, get out of here. Notice this, verse 9. And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish 
which they had taken. So this is not an anomaly or just kind of a heart thing. You know, in my own life, I've had times where God will just really deal with me about the lost in the world. And sometimes I've gone into restaurants where, you know, they're maybe like an Asian restaurant and there's a lot of Asian people there. And God will just move on me and I'll like want to cry and think, who's going to reach these people? You know, but nobody else is in there that I'm looking at going, I'm crying too, brother. Somebody's over there, another table, I'm crying too, brother. Thanks, we're all crying about these people. No, it's just me. Just me, and maybe it happens to you or something like that, and you're moved for the lost, and it may just be you in a restaurant or someplace, you know. But here, it wasn't just Peter that was blown away. All of them were astonished at the catch of fish, it said, which they had taken. Notice they took it, but there was a God factor in there. Verse 10 said, And so they, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. I mean, he is afraid. Isn't that amazing? You know, because when we think about the Lord, we're like, hip, hip, hooray. I mean, he is just afraid. And he said, Peter or Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What is repentance? We see some cooperation, but really what we see here too is repentance. We see repentance after this huge catch. Repenting is really taking on a new way of thinking that drives a new way of action. And the type of thinking that you take on is really an aligning type of thought toward God. In other words, there was a higher destiny here for Peter. He maybe knew there was something bigger. I think people inherently know that and people who are called recognize that. You know, there's something bigger. And this day he was confronted with this, follow me. And it had to connect some way, but in all reality, there had to be a repentance. What did it mean? It means there had to be a, uh, an exiting of some old way of thinking that, that caused him to stay with his fish and stay with what he was doing and, and do these certain things and make an internal judgment and an internal adjustment that... There's a higher way to life for me. There's a different thing for me. There is a higher priority. And I'm going to make that internal judgment and that internal adjustment. And when we do that, truly do it, the Bible talks about that being repentance when we follow out the action. And truly, when we do change the internal way we process about something, it will always work its way out. 
in our actions. And so when, when people think of repentance, often it's just quit doing that. Quit doing that. But do you know you can quit doing something without truly having repentance? And it can be a real struggle to try to make it happen. Even though you could be doing it. So sometimes if people say, hey, you need to repent and stop doing that, and they stop doing it, somebody could look and go, look, they repented. But they're really struggling and fighting with it. There, there's an element of some repentance that needs to take place. What does that mean? An internal adjustment that says what I'm doing is not the highest or the best way. I'm going to change my thinking to begin to align with God at a heart level. That's what repentance is. Then that begins to drive our actions. And and these things are super important because repentance does some different things. And this, this is huge when we see this. Repentance removes compromise. If, we are, if we're needing repentance, then it will alleviate compromise. In life, this is the truth. Repentance is needed and repentance is necessary at times for all people. And what it will do, it will clear things. It will actually give God an opportunity to get involved in your life at a higher level. Because what we're really doing is aligning ourselves and leaving something that maybe would exclude God or put God at a lower level in our life. And you understand this, what I'm preaching right now is not like a rule, you better repent. No, this is just an individual thing where you're just walking with God and you're just hungry for Him, maybe only a little, but you talk to Him and He deals with you. And you choose to begin to align yourself with his dealing. It may go against something you're wanting. It may not go against what you want. But you begin to align the internal part of you. And you begin to adopt that as the, the best way. And then when you start to adopt it as the best way, you begin to act on that best way. How many of you know, wherever God is directing his hands are in that to have grace. Remember the children of Israel? They looked out at the rest of the world and they said, we want a king. We want a king. Remember when they said that? Well, they didn't say it exactly like that. But they said, hey, all the other nations have a king and we've only got God governing us. We need a change. We need something different like the rest of the world. God, give us a king. What was happening is compromise was coming in. You can see the actually, you can actually see the opposite of repentance. They're not accepting a God way of thinking. They're now beginning to reject a God way of thinking. And it is now driving them to different actions. 
they're following these actions and saying, we don't need God, we need a king. We need a king like the rest of them have. And what happened was, in their compromise, it actually pushed God out of their life in certain degrees. Why? Because he said, don't choose a king. Don't choose what the rest rest of the world is choosing. He, He said, don't do that. He warned them, don't. He said, if you go down this path, He said, I'll let you. Because you know, God loves us and he permits us to do things. And he'll argue with us. Aren't you glad? He'll just, come on. And he he said, but I'll let you have a king. Because they were just, please, please, please. I'll let you have a king. And he said, all right, you'll have a king. But know that if you choose this king, you will get leanness to your own soul. In other words, the fullness of what you could have, you will lose because of your compromise. Remember, repentance gets rid of compromise. And so, repentance isn't just repent. But what you're really doing is getting rid of compromise, and you're accepting in God's way of thinking... And what you're doing is you're allowing God's hand to come upon your businesses, your business, your affairs. Are you with me? And so, if repentance is necessary and repentance is needed and it gets rid of compromise and kind of pushes out other things that are not of God where I'll have to do extra effort and it allows God in... Because I'm accepting his way. Repentance is huge. Actually, when we choose, and, and, and I will say this concerning repentance, sometimes repentance is something more like, yuck, I don't want to do that. And we adjust our thinking. Sometimes repentance is stuff that we're like totally happy with doing. But we go, wait a minute, there's a higher way. It's a God way. I'm going to have to adopt this. When we do that, Man, it allows God to move in our lives. Look at this verse. This set of scripture, we'll close over here, is so amazing. Repentance is not just for the lost who need to accept the Lord. Though it's inherent in them accepting the Lord because when somebody preaches the gospel or shares their faith, then what happens is a person who's going to receive the Lord has to adjust their thinking. They have to take on a new way of thought. He is the king. He is the savior. I accept that. Inherent is repentance. But this is for believers. To me, this is huge. How many would like a better life? Two people, three. Oh, okay. Who doesn't want a higher way of living, a more fulfilled, uh, uh, not a leanness to the soul? What does it mean? There's not the fat in the fullness internally. How did they end up having leanness? They went away from a higher way of thinking, of going God's way, and now they've got this emptiness in their soul, and God said, you'll get it, but you'll end up with leanness. And how many of you know fat is the flavor of a steak? Sorry, I just kind of almost fell over and started drooling. 
You'd have had to wave bacon in front of my nose to wake me. Oh, but I mean, isn't it true? Like, you know, they'll even tell you the cheaper steaks don't have fat in them. They're real chewy and, I mean, if you like leather, you know, or you're on a diet, you know, you're trying to lose weight, just get that because you just chew for an hour and get nowhere. But one thing is, is when you get that fat in there, man, it, it add, flavor, flavor. It should be called flavor crystals or something like that. And he said, you'll remove that, that fatness out of your soul, your emotions. They'll become lean. There won't be a fullness there. But thank God he told him, if you accept my way, which is repenting, he said, and then go this path, you'll have fullness, and it'll be better than this. To me, these verses right here are fascinating. We'll, we'll close here. 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And the eighth verse, and this was writing to a group of people in a church where some of these people were not actually living and doing something wrong. They were actually, some of them were, but some of them were just super accepting, accepting of other people's wrong behavior. Not that we're supposed to go correct other people, but we should have an element of certain morals should be planted in us where we don't like certain things. We can love people, absolutely should. I mean, no question about that. Not to be judgmental, but we should have things. Jesus, the Bible said, loved righteousness, hated iniquity. But how many of you know there's all kinds of sinners who love being around him? But he personally hated it, and it said, therefore, God was able to anoint him beyond his companions with the oil of joy and gladness. How did that happen? He was aligning with God's thoughts. Are you with me? And here he addresses this and what the benefits are of repenting. Notice this. 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, we'll begin in verse 8. We'll read four verses. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. What had happened, he wrote a letter to this church that was real corrective. It was real corrective in this sense that he said, some of you are living wrong and not repenting, not changing. You're just accepting this as a life and a lifestyle. But he said, but there's others who are not accepting it personally, but are just allowing it to go unchecked in the church and making it like it's acceptable. So he wrote this real corrective letter by God, and he said, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. Even he was struggling, seeing these people have this sorrow, but we're going to look at it. For I perceive, he knew this from God, that the same epistle, which is letter, made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice. He regretted, but he said, now I'm excited. Not that you were made sorry or sorrowful, but that your sorrow led to repentance, a new way of thinking with new ways of action. He said, for you were made sorry in a Godward manner. 
Now, we, we, we won't look at this, but there is a sorrow and a sorry in that's not after a God manner. Man, I did wrong. Ugh. That's not always fruitful. But there is a sorrow where it's like, oh God, I, I, I violated your plan and your purpose and your ways. I'm so sorry. It's more based on relationship. And he said, but you were made sorry in a godly manner. Meaning with God in mind. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Notice verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance. When we really look at it from man, our relationship with God and what this does toward God, you read about the people in the Old Testament when they sinned, the ones that really had a heart for God, were not the ones who were perfect, but the ones who sinned who would say things like this, God, sorry I sinned against you. I just didn't commit adultery and sin with this lady. I sinned against you. I'm sorry, God, I didn't just lie and do this, you know, and get caught by these people. I was sinning against you. They had a Godward sorrow, a Godward sorry, like, God, this is, this is something between me and you. And he said that kind of thing leads to repentance, to salvation or deliverance and wholeness and a change. Not to be regretted. If you go down this path, you won't regret it. He said, but the sorrow of this world produces death. You just feel bad after. You just live feeling bad. I did wrong. I did wrong. I've done wrong. I'm doing wrong. It just produces darkness and yuck. But what I love is these next verses. He said, this kind of repentance is phenomenal. Remember I said it's necessary and it's needful. Look at what this will do. Worldly, godly. This makes life different. Verse 11. For observe, or pay attention. Now look at this. This is what he said. This very thing. That you sorrowed, or were sorrowful, in a godly manner. Now what does it do? It, re it produces repentance, or a change in the way we think. The change in the way we process, the change in the way we do things, and what does that do? It does something to us, but it allows God in our lives in a grander way. Now, you understand God lives in every believer, but I mean where his hand is in our business helping. Notice this. It did in a godly manner. Here's the very first thing that it produced. Notice what diligence it produced in you. In other words, it caused me to become more diligent in my walk. Repentance has a personal effect. Then he said, what clearing of yourselves. It brought an inward and then an outward cleansing. These are all positive things. The next thing, what indignation it brought. What does it mean? All of a sudden, I started hating wrong. 
you know, that is not a bad quality. Repentance will cause us to adopt the way of thinking that aligns with God and aligns with Jesus where we'll hate a hatred for wrong. And it will be built in us, not just hate this. He said, these are all the byproduct of just an act of repentance. And then it goes on to say, diligence, clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear. Well, he's not talking about a, a panicking. He's talking about a high reverence for the Lord. Look at what this simple act of repentance does. It makes people start looking at God for who he really is and how big he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is. It makes people start revering him. You could see the opposite would drive that out. Then it goes on to say, what vehement desire? Well, we all use that in our sentences, right? I have vehement desire for cheesecake right now. I do too. It's funny you should say that. I was thinking the same thing. No, vehement desire literally means a passionate and intense desire for God. He said these are all the byproduct of things that start working in you. If you try to repent and just change in action, these things aren't all worked. But look at this. Man, it makes me want to go, where can I repent? And he said, a fear, a vehement desire, zeal, or great, literally great enthusiasm and energy for his cause. Look at what's happening to this individual. That means these things were absent. And if they are present, there's been some repenting. Because these are the automatic byproduct. He goes on to say, what zeal, what vindication. What is it? What is a vindication? It's, it's really the action of cleaning someone from blame. See, they had had personal blame. And this vindication occurred and by their repentance and it just made them know, I'm clean in this area. Think about it. Produced a diligence. It opened the door for God to move. Caused an inward cleansing, a hatred for wrong, a higher respect and revere for God, passion and intense desire for Him, enthusiasm for the cause of Christ. It'd be one thing to say, hey, we need to look at the cause of Christ and really go for it with God. And people are like, yeah, but I got some other stuff to do. It, it's an internal thing that works in this context. Repentance is really our cooperation with God and us aligning ourselves with any direction He gives us as the best thing. And when we do that and follow through, it will produce all these wonderful things in our lives. Amen? We won't have to be striving. We'll want to strive. We won't have to want to respect God. We'll respect God. We won't want to just go, yeah, we've got to do this for his cause. We'll be driven from within for the cause.